Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. We wrap up another week, Bill. And before we get to the week in politics and the Senate races, uh, we started off this week with uh, George Will saying on Fox that it had been a good week for ISIS since President Obama gave his speech. We're now on week two of the post we're going to deal with ISIS. Has this been yet another good week for the Islamic State? You know, I worry that it has, Michael. And when the President of the United States gives a major speech, and then, in effect, nothing happens. You know, there's no intensification of bombing attacks. There's no obvious particular setbacks to ISIS. There are no boots on the ground. Obviously, all the talk about the coalition is, at this point, still talk. Uh, that's good for them, you know. I mean, normally, President, you know, why the President would give that speech without having things ready to go, without having a, at least some campaign ready to go to demonstrate that we were stepping things up and that if you're thinking of being a jihadist and joining ISIS, you might want to think twice. And if you're thinking of being a collaborator with them in the Middle East, you might want to think twice. But as of now, you know, there's not much reason for them to, unfortunately, uh, fear us any more than they did two or three weeks ago. And to the degree the president gave a speech and nothing's happening, it does hurt us, I think. And there's something odd about uh, John Kerry calling you know people together to talk about what we're going to do to f- solve the problem of the Islamic State, and then not having a single thing to say when the meeting's over. My understanding is, Bill, that when you do these international diplomatic things, you have something set even before the people get together, so you can at least release a communique of cooperation or blah blah blah. Uh, it really appears that the Obama team Obama is making this up as they go along. Right, and I mean, then Kerry's testimony, I think, on the Hill was pretty uh, bad. It wouldn't have encouraged you if you were a foreign ally trying to decide whether to chip in. Obviously, Chairman uh, of the Joint Chiefs, Dempsey, said, well, actually, probably where you are going to probably need ground troops, basically, and the president isn't accepting my recommendation on that. And then the White House, basically, the president himself saying the next day, watch, well, I don't even want to hear that recommendation. So all of those signals are, are bad, I'm afraid, and... Um, the degree of disarray in the U.S. government is pretty striking. I've been around Washington a while. I was in government some. Uh, it's pretty rare, pretty rare to have a sec- chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Marty Dempsey, who's a very uh, cautious and accommodating, I would say, military leader to his civilian uh, superiors, as maybe he should be in some in many cases. But um, for him to sort of say what he said uh, earlier this week in the hearing, I thought it was pretty striking. I'm so old, I remember when presidents not listening to their generals was a bad thing, you know, 2005, 6, and 7. Right, uh, right. And, but even older than that, the image of President Obama saying, I'm going to be hand-picking the military strikes in Syria a la LBJ in Vietnam. I, do we, does he really want to be the new LBJ when it comes to how America fights wars? Well, you'd think not, and uh, the whole thing has that character. Let's get the Arabs involved. Really, do we want, you know, the Saudi Air Force, with all due respect to them, doing bombing missions? Do we think they will take our care to avoid civilian casualties? Do we think they know what they're doing unless they're pretty much being controlled by us? If they're being controlled by us, why don't we just do it, you know? I mean, this notion that we can outsource fighting an important military mission against, unfortunately, a pretty capable military foe, when there are complicated diplomatic uh, considerations where you don't want to be killing lots of civilians because that would presumably help them, not us. And also it's the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, it shows a kind of unseriousness about the whole effort. I guess that's what strikes me. The president of the United States gives a prime time address. It's the serious threat, supposedly. He's mobilizing for it. And then the last couple of weeks have just been not serious. Now, you know, hopefully he will pivot and hopefully we'll, you know, we've stopped some of their progress, I guess. And, Maybe we can do more damage. One thing I think that has not been commented on, 
I talked to a lot of Republican members of Congress, a couple of senators in the last week. They were tr- struggling on how to vote on the uh, funds for the Syrian uh, opposition, which are problematic in all kinds of ways, part of a not a real strategy on the part of Obama. So the people getting this money are probably not going to be great people, to say the least. Um, but they thought at the end, you know, it's, the President of the United States says this is important. Probably should give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, give them the money for now at least, and uh, while encouraging them to do more. It was impressive that Republicans came. The Republicans voted more for the aid to Syria than Democrats did. Republicans distrust this president. They're not confident the vetting is being done well of the Syrian opposition. And they have all kinds of questions about the strategy, to say the least. But, you know, I, in an era where we keep hearing about partisanship and polarization, the Republic, every party just trashes the other, particularly the mainstream media attack on the Republicans. They're bitter partisans who will never support the president on anything. Here on a vote that a lot of them had real qualms about, I've got to say, had real doubts about the policy. They basically did, I think, the right thing, uh, you know, put those aside and sort of went with the president when it, when it came to it on a matter of national security, more than the Democrats did. So for all the talk about how the Republicans are bitter partisans, the Republicans supported the Democrat, Democratic president in what's probably a somewhat unpopular policy of helping the Syrians. And a policy they have real doubts about, but they thought it would be bad for the country to defeat the president in this request. My favorite moment of the week, Bill, and it relates to foreign policy and the uh, the unseriousness, as you just mentioned, is yesterday when Josh Ernest announced that we will abs we are we are sending help for the Ukraine for the uh, uh, Ukrainians. We're sending them $54 million. We're sending them night vision goggles and helmets and uh, alerts that indicate when mortars are being fired, but no weapons, none, zero. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so great. So I've got night vision goggles so I can see the bullets when they're coming. I've got mortar alerts so I know the mortar's coming. And I've got just enough body armor to keep my remains together after the Russians killed me, but no weapons to fight back. And that is the Obama model of foreign policy. It is, and here they're really not asking for U.S. troops boots on the ground, so we really are just talking about providing the weapons. It's pretty shocking, honestly, and the degree to which Putin is just getting away with everything. And we're not, Obama's barely even pretending to protest or do anything anymore, as you say. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you had predicted this two, three, four years ago, that people would snatch, or the Russian, Russia would snatch part of a major country, Ukraine, a country we, 20 years ago, basically guaranteed its territorial integrity when they gave up nuclear weapons. That we would be, as you say, have the White House spokesman say, "Yeah, the night goggles, yes, but no actual arms to fight back." It's it's pretty shocking. And so now the question is: Will the uh, disarray in foreign policy, will the lack of leadership foreign policy, uh, spill over into the 2014 elections? I read a column by E.J. Dion this morning where he's urging everybody: Please don't vote until after the elections, because then we'll have a better, more thoughtful vote. I don't know that I agree. I like the idea of politics being part of our uh, foreign policy, having people have to buy in on what America does abroad. What, what do, you, do you see a political uh, aspect and an immediate impact in November on any of this? Yeah, sure. I think it's President Obama's approval ratings are lowest now on foreign policy. That's something where people have been getting the benefit of the doubt a couple of years ago, as you recall. That was, they considered that a strength, not a weakness. And some of the polling suggested it was a strength. The, we hadn't seen the consequences of his weakness that much. And mid-late 2012, uh, Governor Romney wasn't that good at articulating an alternative, made a couple of missteps, uh, probably could have actually hit back hard when President Obama attacked him, but didn't really. And so I think it was probably a net plus for Obama in 2012 and for Democrats. It's clearly a, a minus now. And think about it. I mean, the Republican strategy has been to link these Democratic incumbents, especially in the Senate, to President Obama. 
And when does that work? Well, it works when President Obama is doing things that the public doesn't like or not doing things that the public wants him to do, where the public suddenly thinks, gee, I don't really want some cheerleader for Obama. There in the Senate, I might like him personally. He's represented my state for six or 12 years. His parents, his father represented my state. You know, all these Democratic senators seem to be the sons and daughters of, of um, the previous uh, governors and senators. But, you know, I, I really think Obama's doing a bad job, and I want someone there who will check and fight him, not simply rubber stamp what he's doing. I think that stuff becomes more salient the more Obama's actions become more salient. And Obama's actions are salient now because in foreign policy, uh, he is really uh, doing poorly, and that's what people think. So, no, I think it's helped Republicans. And in general, I'm pretty optimistic. I'm normally a pessimistic kind of guy, cheerful pessimist, I hope, but a pessimistic kind of guy. But I, I'm pretty optimistic about this November, really. So you're not worried about Kansas uh, falling because of the Pat Roberts mess? You're not worried about uh, Kay Hagan's lead in uh, North Carolina stopping the Republicans from getting the magic number of six? I'm, I'm worried about all of them, and much more Kansas is an amazing, I think, screw-up, and this is what happens when you have a, a senatorial committee at a party establishment that's committed to re-electing every incumbent and, and not even persuading them to step down when they're older and really don't need another six-year term and the country doesn't need another six-year term for them. But I guess they can probably pull out Kansas at the end of the day. The so-called independent running against Roberts is really a liberal Democrat, and I think once they make that clear, Kansas will probably decide kind of reluctantly that they prefer they prefer Roberts. Um, in these other races, I think what's happened, I mean, the Democrats have outspent the Republicans. I think their ads are often better than the Republicans, especially in super PACs. Harry Reid's super PAC has been very effective, totally demagogic, but very effective. He's raised a ton of money. <clears throat> you know, I was asking someone the other day, well, where's like the equivalent super PAC on the Republican side? They're, I think Reid's super PAC is called the Senate Majority PAC, I think it's called. Uh, like, where's the Senate, you know, Let's make let's create a Senate Majority Pack or whatever the right name for the Republican <laughs> Pack would be. There isn't one. Isn't that interesting? It's like the Senate Republicans. They're so they're all doing their own thing. They're running their own races. McConnell obviously is in a tough race in Kentucky. They're not. There's nothing to parallel it. Now Republicans have their own super PACs, but they're not as effective as Reed. So I think they spent a ton of money to Democrats, and the effect of that has been to keep the Democratic senators in the race keep these races at 44, 44, 45, 45, you know, bouncing around within two, three points. But I guess my basic sense is, I mean, maybe that'll work. Maybe they can keep them in the race for six weeks forever and then squeak out a victory, 51-49. But I think the more natural kind of scenario, if you've seen races like this before, is at the end of the day, they're propping these Democratic senators up to 45 46%. They're not going to get them higher than that. And that the undecided votes will go to the challengers in the end. And that all this money will make the races closer than they would have otherwise been. But I think at the end of the day, in Arkansas and Louisiana and Alaska and North Carolina, but also I think in Iowa and Colorado and uh, New Hampshire, and then I think even some of the states that are longer shots, I think you're going to see Republicans coming on pretty strong now for the next six weeks. I think the Democrats have basically shot all their bullets, and the Republicans, the natural trend now of Republicans campaign intelligently, a big if, and articulate you know a positive agenda, an alternative to Obamacare, go after uh, have a good Main Street Middle America message. I, I think it could really come the Republicans' way in the next six weeks. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for helping us wrap up the week here on the Weekly Standard Podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.